12.30 p.m. here in the auditorium. We can't wait to see you there. January 6th through January 26th, we're going to be starting our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Together, let's faithfully seek God first, trusting in His power alone to make a lasting impact in our lives, our church, and around the world. For more information, please visit Next Step Central in the lobby or lifepointsa.com slash 21 days. January 20th is going to be best Sunday ever, and you don't want to miss out on this incredible experience. We're going to be having snacks, sweet beats, and some awesome giveaways. So mark your calendars and invite your friends. We can't wait to see you there. Our first Wednesday experience is actually happening on second Wednesday, January 9th at 7 p.m. This will be an inspiring time as we draw closer to God through music, scripture, and prayer. This is a time you don't want to miss. Calling all middle school, high school, and college students. Join us tonight for motion from 6 to 7.30 p.m. here at LifePoint Church. We've got a brand new series that you're not going to want to miss out on called New Vibes. If you want to know more about what's happening here at LifePoint, then follow us on social media or check out LifePointSA.com. For now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the message. Thanks for being with us today. Meet Billy. In five years, Billy will have spent 605 days sleeping and two and a half full days brushing his teeth, hopefully. He will have sat in traffic for nine full days. Billy hates traffic. And in five years, he will have spent 433 days working. Social media will have taken up 152 consecutive days of his life. He will have walked 3,650 miles and spoken 29.2 million words, hopefully good ones. In five years, Billy will have spent 76 days eating and drinking. Billy loves dessert. Two and a half years out of the five will be spent consuming media, with 228 days spent watching TV. Billy is messy. He will have spent 152 days cleaning. And in five years, he will have spent roughly $40,000 on food, 40 days shopping, and 50 days socializing with the homies. Welcome to you in five years. How's everybody doing today? Awesome, awesome. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint Church. And I, first of all, I want to say I hope you had a great holiday season, and we're so glad that you're here today on this first Sunday of January. What we found out is only the best and the brightest show up in the first two Sundays of the year. So there you are. Look at you guys out there. Look around. By about the third week, everybody's like, oh, yeah, we go to church, and we'll come back. And uh, but we're so glad you're here because you are amongst the best and the brightest. I'm glad you're here for a lot of reasons, but today I'm really glad you're here uh, because we're kicking off a brand new series that, as you saw, we're calling You in Five Years. Now, I love this idea because it goes beyond what we normally do, which is these New Year's resolutions that we tend to break by like February the 3rd. I think that's what they, I read the other day, that the average person breaks it like the first week of February. Um, and and it gets, this, this idea gets at the bigger picture uh, about direction and how my choices that I make today have the ability to make an impact on my future, like all the way around and where I'm headed in every facet of life. 
And so over the next few weeks, that's what we're going to kind of do is just kind of dig on, on what, what our lives could like in this specific facet or that specific facet. And, and some of you are forward thinking. And so it's really easy for you to picture yourself five years from now. You're like, yeah, 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 I get it. I can see it right now. Some of you, um, maybe you're more like me where I wake up and go, what am I going to get to eat today? That's all I really care about during the day, especially when I'm doing the Daniel fast because it's like, can't eat that, can't eat that, can't eat that, can I eat that? Oh, yeah. So I'll just dream about that all day long like cabbage at Luby's. Not so much. Nobody's like, no, I'm not going to dream about that. But when you're on the Daniel fast, you will dream about that. You know what I'm saying? So... I want you to imagine, take a little trip with me, um, whatever your age is right now, I don't care if you're young or old, get that number in your head, get, get it in your head right now, like that picture of that, like maybe you need those balloons, like 41, like to imagine how old you are, or 21 or whatever, and now I want you to fast forward five years and see that number in your head. What's that number going to be like for you? What's your life going to look like on that day? I, I'm 47 today, in five years I'll be 52. Not going to lie, 50 freaks me out a lot. Um, some of you have already been down that road, and you're like, that's nah, not that big of a deal. But when you're not 50 yet, 50 freaks you out. Can I, anybody know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, dude, I'm just worried about 20. Well, good for you, man. Why don't you rub it in? <laughs> Why don't you just rub that in on the rest of us, right? Uh, I have a 15-year-old daughter right now, and I have a 12-year-old daughter right now. In five years, I'll have a 20-year-old and a 17-year-old, which, which just freaks me out a whole bunch which is why I carry a knife everywhere I go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm from Texas, and so we, that's what we roll, but also I have two daughters, and uh, that's how we roll. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> Pastor's violent. Yes, I am when it comes to my daughters. You know what I'm saying? So are you, if you got them. People be, you don't ever know what's going to happen on stage. Somebody could come at me, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for you, you know? Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with all that. I'm kind of excited about that season. Um, I've read over and over again that between 45 and 55 is where men, women figure it out like at 20, but men start to figure out life around 45 to 55 years old. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Because it quite hadn't happened yet. But, um, but uh, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that season of my life. And I hope that you are as well. But, but I want to ask you a question. If in five years from now, you are exactly like you are right now, and, and I'm talking about not just how you look, but just in general, Will you be happy with that, or would you be a little disappointed? And you don't have to raise your hand or even comment. Just think about that in your head. Will you be happy? And some of you would say, yeah, man, I'm in a great space in my life. And for you, man, I would say right on. But I would say that there's a lot of us that would probably, myself included, who would say, no, I wouldn't be happy with no improvements in my life, with, with, with no, having not learned something new or gotten better in some area of my life or climbed some obstacle that has been looming in my life, but I've overcome it finally. Five years from now, I could see myself having overcome that, I think that most of us would say, I want to grow. I want, I want to achieve some new things. I want to see some things happen. I want my relationships to get better. And so you, in five years, and that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next few weeks. I, I think sometimes, and at least in my, my own life, when it comes to the new year and planning and thinking about the new year, I often find myself thinking too small. Um, too, 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 I don't know, not forward-thinking enough. Uh, Craig Groeschel, who is a world-class leader and the pastor of the largest church in America, LifeChurch.tv, like 100,000 people go to their church. They have like 35 campuses around the nation. 
And he's just a, a genius when it comes to leadership. And, and he says this, I listened to this in a podcast a few months ago. He says that most of us tend to underestimate what we could do in the long term. We underestimate what we could do in the long term. And we overestimate what we could do in the short term. Meaning that in a short period of time, we think, oh man, if in the first quarter of the new year, I'm going to do you know, this massive amount of thing. And generally speaking, we're disappointed. And we don't forward think out two or three or four or five years out. And so we don't understand that if we were just faithful and just consistent and had a clear vision about who or what we wanted to become, we, could, we, we would underestimate what our capacity is in five years. Who could I be by the time January 2024 rolls around? Like if I gave it my all, if I gave it all that I got, if I went after it, if I trust the God who made the heavens and the earth, who is for me and not against me, who, who gave me Jesus, who gave me his Holy Spirit, who, who could I be 60 months from now? It's a good question, isn't it? And that's the question that we're going to wrestle with over the next few weeks. What, what could you accomplish in five years, if you got a clear vision for your life, if you got serious about uh, focusing on a few things rather than like the shotgun approach to life, what could you do? I, I was thinking about that this week. Like one of the things that I would love to do is I would learn, I'm 47, I would learn to how to, sp- I'd love to learn how to speak Spanish. I grew up here my whole life um, and most of my friends growing up were Hispanic, and my, I have two Hispanic brothers-in-law, and none of them have taught me anything but bad words up until now. <laughs> so I know a lot of bad words. I know how to say carne guisada uh, pretty well. I don't know how to say anything else, though. That's kind of all I got, you know? And I would love to go on our mission trip to Costa Rica and instead of having have to wonder, what are they saying about me over there? Because like, if you don't speak Spanish and you see three dudes gathered around and they kind of look at you and they're talking real fast and they break out to laughing, you just assume they're talking about me, man. Like, I want to know what it is so I can come at them. You know what I'm saying? With my, no, I'm just kidding. I can come at them. In five years, I could get a degree in something. Right now I have a bachelor's degree, but I could get a, I could get a master's degree in five years. Even while working, I could do that. Some of you think, I'm too old to get a degree. No, you're not. You could do this over time. I read that last week that an 87-year-old woman got her college degree. Now, I don't know what she's going to do with it, but she got it, and that's awesome. I'm going to work. Right on. You know what I'm saying? I could save a lot of money in five years. Instead of spending on a bunch of junk I don't need that I'm going to put in a garage sale, stuff that I'm buying now that's going to end up in a garage sale in five years, that's going to happen. You know that, right? Got to have it. Sell it for $2. No, could I get it for a dollar? I guess so. You know what I'm saying? You guys know how that rolls out, right? I could save, I could, Dave Ramsey would argue that you could pay off almost any debt that you have in five years. If you got serious about it, you could do that. Like I could, I could, I could get fit, I could lose 20 pounds. I could, I could run a marathon. Well, I couldn't run a marathon. You could run a marathon. I hate pain, I hate running. I couldn't do that. I could swim to Alcatraz, right? That's a, that's a swim that I've always wanted to do from the, the, the pier out to the Alcatraz, you know, shark-infested cold water. I, I dream about doing that. So that sounds amazing. Like, I, I could go save enough money to go to Australia, which is a dream of mine, to go hang out with the ghost of Crocodile Hunter. You know what I'm saying? I love that dude. You guys remember Steve Irwin, man? I want to go hang out with his kids. Like, I want, him to, I want to grab snakes and jump on the back of a crocodile with them. Like, like, I know that's maybe not your deal, but like, I would love that. I could do that, maybe. I don't know if they'd let me in but maybe they would. I I could read through the Bible several times in five years. I could memorize a ton of scripture in five years. I could disciple a lot of young believers in five years. 
You, you could radically transform your life, your soul, growing closer to God than you've ever been before in five years. You could start that today, actually. Think, think about it. Jesus did ministry on this earth for three years, and then he said, hey, you can do greater things than I did. What could you do in five years for Jesus that would make such an impact on the life of people around you? I, I, I think about what it would look like if, if, if I went to the Lord with my stuff rather than trying to solve all of it on my own, and then as a last resort, I went to him which is what a lot of us do. What could my life look like in five years? And that's where I want to land today. How could my life change if I really went all in spiritually, if I followed Jesus? If in the next five years I followed Jesus, what could change? What could it look like? What could happen in my life? If, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 13. If not, it's going to be on the screen. It's also in the notes that we hand out if you want to get those when you're walking in. And this, generally speaking, I preach from the NIV or the ESV, but today I want to read this one from the message, um, which is the, the paraphrase uh, that Eugene Peterson did. And I just love the language. It's poetic, but it's so clear and easy to understand. And verse 11, he says this, but make sure that you don't get so absorbed and exhausted. I want you to pay attention to this. Lean in. In taking care of all of your day-by-day obligations that you lose track. Now, I could do a whole series just on that one line because some of us, it's, it's only day seven or six rather, and we're already exhausted and absorbed in all the junk that we have to do in the new year, right? We're already there. We're like, oh, I'm convicted. Preach on that for a little while. I can't. I don't have time. But we're going we're gonna to unpack this over the next few weeks. Today, I'm going to read this, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to come back to this. He says, don't get absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all of your day-by-day obligations that you lose track of the time. And the time here is not just the chronological time, but just the opportunities that are presented to you. And you doze off oblivious to God. And he's writing this to Christians in Rome. He's not writing this to lost people. He's saying, hey, it's possible for you to get so caught up in your day-to-day life. You're, hey, I got to make this happen. I got to do this. I got to make all this happen. That you get absorbed by the culture, that you get exhausted by the culture, and you become oblivious to God. The night is about over, he says. Dawn is about to break. He's talking about the end of the times. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. We can't afford to waste a minute. Must not squander these precious daylight hours in in frivolity, just silly stuff that we waste time on. You saw it in the piece that was opening. We waste a lot of time. And, and, and in indulgences and sleeping around, that's a word for somebody, and anticipation, just wasting stuff, money and, and time and energy on things that don't matter, and bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed. Get dressed. Don't loiter. Don't linger, waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ. Love that. And be up and about. Lord, thank you so much for this moment, this opportunity, God. I pray that today's message the words of the Lord would become so clear in our hearts that our ears would hear, that our hearts would be open. Lord, that you would just speak to us in a way that we can understand, in a way that that moves us, not to just be hearers, but to be doers of the word. I pray that today in in your name, Jesus. Everybody say amen. A couple of months ago, I gave what I'm going to say from this point forward on a first Wednesday. There were a few people there 
And, and I walked away from it thinking I, I need to come back the first of the year and bring this very same message. So those of you who are here, I think it was in October, you heard a little bit of this today. Um, I hope that you'll, maybe you just need to hear it the second time. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm saying? I, 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 um, in the summertime, I was listening to uh, NPR, and I love the stories that they tell, and they were interviewing a girl named Allie Raceman, who was one of the final five in the, in the, um, the last Olympics, and they won the gold medal, and, and she's become kind of famous as standing out and stepping out against some, some abuses that were taking place in, in the American gymnastics teams, and, and, and they were talking to her about how she got into uh, gymnastics, and she was describing a time when she was three or four, I think she said, and she'd go to her grandmother's house, and, and at her grandmother's house, um, there was this VHS tape laying around, Now a lot of you don't know what that is, right, VHS um, but if you know what a tape cassette is, this was a video one. It was about this big, and it was heavy and bulky. But it changed our lives because for the first time, we could record live television and then come back and watch it again. Do you guys remember those days? Now we just push 50 buttons. We can do it on our phone. But back in the day, back in the day, you had a VHS tape. Back in the day, before you had all these options for radios, back in my day, like I was a Chicago fan, I liked Foreigner, I liked Boston, I liked Kansas, I liked Peter Cetera, I, liked, I had a weird genre, I loved Stevie Wonder, and if you wanted to listen to one of their songs, you had to wait until they played it on the radio with your boombox and press record at the right second to make your jams, your playlist. Like nowadays, kids just be like, playlist, 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 playlist. But back in the day, you had to invest in your life to have a playlist. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm saying? And VHSs were how you got, you can see General Hospital again. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why you would do that. It has nothing to do with this story, but I'm going to go back to the story now. It's the third service. By this time, I'm loose, man. I'm, I'm relaxed. You know what I'm saying? And anyways, um, so she said when she turned it on, one of the first things she saw was this girl, this, uh, this gymnast named Carrie Strug. And, and those of you who weren't alive in 96 or were children and you don't remember this, Carrie Strug had injured herself, had like broken an ankle or seriously, seriously sprained it. It looked like she wasn't going to be able to do her thing. Her last routine, if she doesn't do her routine, then the, 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 state, the United States can't win the gold. If she does it, it's going to be horrific pain. She could really damage herself, but she does it. She muscles up. She goes and does the vault or something where she flips through the air and lands on her, her foot and she nails it. The crowd goes crazy. We win the gold. And she said while she was watching that, that something sort of began to happen inside of her as she was watching that. And she said every time she'd go to her grandma, she'd get that tape and watch it. And she began to memorize the, the routines of not only Carrie, but the other Olympic gymnasts that were in that season. And, and something began to take in her heart that, that was beginning to, to, to transform her that went way beyond just, hey, that was really neat. Like a lot of people are like, whoa, wow, Carrie Strug did that. Something else happened to her. And she began to dream about what her life could look like. And she started thinking what she did, I could do. And how they won, I could win. And, and over time, she gave her entire life to that pursuit of becoming a world-class athlete, a, a world-class gymnast, a, an Olympic gold medalist, because she wasn't just a fan of these, of these women. She became a follower of them. Every time she would get the chance, she would watch and she would learn and she would listen. You see, see an admirer gets impressed a follower gets devoted. An, an admirer applauds. Right on, yeah. Crowd goes wild. A follower surrenders his or her life to something bigger than themselves. And you see this all the time across genres. You know, millions of people admired Martin Luther King Jr., right? Millions of people did. A lot of them marched with him. 
but not many of them went to jail like he did. Not, not, not many of them had their houses burned like he did. Very few of them died in the manner in which he did. Like, like a lot of people admire and admired uh, Mother Teresa, right? But not many moved to Calcutta to serve the destitute and the poor and the diseased in the way that she did. A lot of people are fans. A lot of people are admirers of Jesus. Not everybody says, I want to be something beside, beyond that. You know, in the Gospel of um, Matthew, we find that Jesus is teaching on a hillside. And there are uh, a lar- there's a large crowd that's gathered there. His disciples are there and close to him. And he begins to teach. And, and the way that the Bible writers write it, it's three chapters of Matthew's gospel. The way they sort of delineated that, Matthew's chapters four, or sorry, five, six, and seven. He che- teaches three ch- chapters long, uh, something we call now the Sermon on the Mount. And at the very back end of this sermon, the Bible says that, that the crowd was amazed at him. Like, they were like, what? Right on. Like, standing, oh, bravo. They've never heard anybody like him, they say. They've heard a lot of teaching, but they've never seen anybody like this guy. He's different. He's other than. And, and the whole crowd that was there, that was gathered, that they, they admired Jesus. Some of them were at odds with him, some of the religious people. But, but while he was teaching, something began to happen in the hearts of a few of them. Something that's happened to some of us that, that goes way beyond admiration, that their hearts started pounding and their minds started racing and something inside of them said, this is it. This is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life, often without even realizing it. To, to be cleansed, to, to be healed, to be forgiven of all of my stuff, man. To be healed of my brokenness, my, the damage that's, that life and my decisions have done. To, to have a life beyond fear and, and worry. To, to know God. To, to not be a slave anymore to sexual desires or to be a slave to money or, or to approval. Trying to constantly manage what people think about me and trying to script my life in such a way that people might admire me, at least from afar. To join up with a cause so much bigger than me and my job and what I do. To, to, to get my often miserable little kingdom aligned with and integrated with something so much bigger and better and eternal and good. To have confidence beyond this life, beyond death. This, this is what was going on in the hearts of a few. When, when Jesus was speaking, they began to say to themselves, listen, whoever this guy is and whatever he's about, I gotta, I gotta have that. I must have Jesus. I, I must follow him. I, I'd, rather have, I'd rather have this man, what he has, and give up everything else in this world than to have everything else in this world and give up on this man. I will pay, therefore, any price. I will, I will do whatever he says to do. I will, I will go wherever he leads me. I, I, I am not just an admirer. I will come out of the crowd and I will follow Jesus. I will arrange my life around him. He will not become just one of the spokes that is my life and I'm at the center of it all. He will become the center of my existence. Now, Jesus knew that this would happen and much of what he did uh, in, in, in the New Testament, and particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, was, was aiming at precisely this, this moment that, where Jesus would call uh, the people to this decision, to this moment with great clarity. And, and often he, he would teach in a way that would make sure that people understood that salvation is free, but following Jesus will involve the payment of some concrete cost. Salvation free. Jesus paid it all. I can't do anything to what, I can't add anything to what he did. But discipleship, 
costs. So you go to John chapter 3, and there's a man named Nicodemus who wants to meet Jesus at night. And, and Nicodemus is a religious ruler, and Jesus actually calls him the teacher of Israel. I mean, he had great fame and notoriety. He was, he was prominent in, in, in the tribe that was the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were at odd, odds with Jesus. They did not want to associate. They did not believe in what he said. They did not like him. So Nicodemus wants to meet with Jesus, and he meets with him at first at nighttime because he doesn't want to lose credibility. Like, who is this guy? What, what's he all about? But we know that it was such a transformational conversation that, that Nicodemus does give his life to following Jesus because one of the first people to come to take the body of Jesus down to prepare his body for the grave was Nicodemus, who comes out in this incredibly great, costly manner because these people hated Jesus, and he says, I want to take his body down. I want to prepare him. I'm a follower. But not everybody would arrive at this decision after an encounter with Jesus. I, I remember Jesus telling a story uh, about a, a rich young ruler. That's what we call him now. He comes to Jesus and says, good master, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is like, why do you call me good? And this guy gets down on his knees and, and they have this conversation. And, and Jesus senses something about this guy's life because he asks him to do something that he had never asked anybody to do. And he never asked anybody to do again. But something about this guy, he says, hey, sell all you have and go give it to the poor and then follow me. And this guy weighs the price tag moment that he's experienced because this is, in fact, a price tag moment. And the Bible says he gets up from there and he goes away sad because he had many things. He weighed the price and he said, it's too great. And he decided not to follow Jesus. And all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing what it looks like to follow him. And he understands that it could get confusing, that religious people could jack it all up and we might miss it. So towards the end of it, he goes into how you obtain it and he, and he starts painting these pictures and, and the back end of the sermon is like this funnel pointing people towards making a decision to follow Jesus, not just about salvation, but to truly follow him. And so he says in, in Matthew seven thirteen, he says, enter through the narrow gate. For, for wide is the gate and broad is the, is the road that leads to destruction. And he says, many people are gonna enter through that way. A lot of people are going to go that road, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only what? Only a few find that. When Jesus says narrow is the way, he's talking about himself. In another place, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. What's the narrow way? Love Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Devote yourself to him. Hold nothing back. That's the narrow way. It's not a set of rules it's not a set of obligations. It's all to Jesus. I owe. Can't ever pay him back. I don't even want to try to pay him back. But my life is a living testimony to his grace and his goodness in my life. And I, and I point towards him. And he says, that's the narrow way. What's the broad way? Well, it's the way of the crowd. It's the way of the world. You re reserve the right to do life your own way. You hold back. You say, hey, God, I want what you have for me, but I don't want to do what you ask of me. So I'm going to hold stuff back. That's the broad way. And the end of the sermon is Jesus painting these stark pictures, these contrasts, broad way, narrow way, uh, wide gate, narrow gate, good tree, bad tree, true disciples, false disciples, house built on the sand, house built on the rock, people who do what Jesus says to do, people who say, I don't want to do what Jesus says. The crowd, the followers. He's painting these pictures with this sermon. Now, here's the thing that I want to ask you. And this message isn't a comfortable one. It's not, hey, let's all laugh and cut up and go home. This is a challenge. I'm going to call on you to raise the bar in your spiritual life. I'm going to call on you, those of you who call LifePoint home, I'm going to call on you to step it up in this new year. 
I'm not going to leave anything vague. I'm going to call on you to take a next step to see yourself five years from now and what that could look like if you do this today. Where are you right now in your relationship with Jesus? Could, could, you, could, you, could you sense that I'm a genuine follower, Danny? I'm not perfect. I'm not getting it right, but I'm going hard at it. I'm doing the best I know how to make a difference in the world. Not, not to earn my salvation because you can't. That's not what we're talking about. Not at all. But to make a difference with what I've been given. I'm going hard at that. Where would you be if you went all in with Jesus? I want to talk about this idea of, of an admirer of Jesus. Because truth be told, I think that a lot of American Christians, that this is the category that they would find themselves in. And if you were to say to the average person who's in that sort of admire category, do you believe in Jesus? They would say, yeah, man, of course I do. Why would else would I be here? In my own way, I do. Do you, do you believe the Bible? Yeah, I, I do believe the Bible. I mean, most of it. Some of it, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do a lot of it, but I do believe that what it's, those are the words of Jesus, you know. And, and they may go to church on occasion. And they may even volunteer, you know, here and there. But at the end of the day, they want to retain control over how they make their decisions in life. And, and, and they want to live for themselves. And so that if getting too close to Jesus involves them risking some success with their business or some success at work or, or to change uh, their lifestyle or, or to get humble about getting help with, with their marriage or some, some addiction or getting serious about immersing their minds in scripture and, 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 and becoming a worshiper of Jesus and, and being faithful to the word of God, then a lot of times people would, want, would, would be like the rich young woman, you know what, no, man, sounds like a lot. This is my life. And they want to maintain a certain distance between them and Jesus so that it's a comfortable level. Like, I want to be close enough that I get to go to heaven when I die, but I don't want to be too close where he goes, hey, I want you to do something different than what you're doing right now. And if the gap becomes too great because I made some bad choices or because life has become hard, then I'll, I'll, I'll ease back closer to him. I'll pray a little bit more. I'll maybe throw a little bit more money in the offering bucket, hoping, hey, did you notice what I did there? Could you help a brother out? Right? And, and, we'll, and we'll do that. But when they, they don't want him to get too close either. Because at the end of the day, I think the story of the American church is that we want to become, we want to be saved, but we want to be aloof and uncommitted. I want to be saved, but I don't want any strings attached to that. I want to be saved, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to do any of the stuff that Jesus said because it seems really hard to do in this context. Maybe he was just talking to those people on that day. No. Now, in Jesus' day, there was this sort of natural progression of what it looked like to follow him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some stuff out here. Um, I don't even know what to call this. We're just going to say, uh, yeah, I should have thought of this before I got up here. I've already done this three times you'd th- or twice, and you'd think I would get this right. Um, just, we'll just talk about the progression, right? So people would come at first, and they would be strangers to Jesus, Right? So sometimes in the Gospels, you will see where that Jesus did something, and people would be like, who is this guy? Like, matter of fact, his own disciples who had been hanging around with him, they're out in a boat one day, and they're freaking out because the storms are up. He's asleep in the front, and he's like, uh, winds stop, peace be still, and the winds and the waves die down, and the guys go, who is this guy? Like, we, we kind of liked you, but now we're a little bit afraid of you right now. You know what I'm saying? Strangers to Jesus. And then after a while, maybe they saw him teach. Maybe they saw him do some miracles. They'd be like, wow, that was pretty crazy what he did right there. And they would become admirers of Jesus. 
Did you see what he did? You see him heal that sick person? Did you see him take that little boy's lunch and multiply it and fed all these people? Not only did he feed them enough, but there was 12 baskets left over? Dude, that guy is rad. You know what I'm saying? Like he's how, no, those other guys are right here. He's at a how never level. That guy. Myers of Jesus. Right? And then there was a third category, which I'll talk about in a moment, that we've kind of created in our day. But, but, but after following Jesus for a while and seeing what he did, and then, and then they would say, man, he said that I should do this. And then they went out and did what he said. And they were like, oh my goodness, it worked. What he said worked. And they begin to trust Jesus. And at the end of that, they become what we've been talking about. They become a follower of Jesus. Become a follower of Jesus. Now, in our day, we've created an additional category between admirer and follower. And this is the American church, I think, a lot of us. And that is this category. We are users of Jesus. I want to go to heaven when I die. I don't know if all that's real, but if it is, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to the other place. I don't want to go to hell. So I will use what Christ has done on the cross for me to get me there. But that's all I want from Jesus. Now, I've told this story before. The idea here is that the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is, is about the minimal entrance requirements for getting into heaven when you die. And we can use what Jesus did for us on the cross to gain access to heaven um, without ever really having to follow him. There's this, um, there's this great scene in Monty Python's The Holy Grail. Anybody like Monty Python's? Like, we're going really deep right now. Okay, you guys ready? So if you've seen it, then you know that's Camelot and you know Lancelot and all the lots, you know, those guys, right? And Arthur and they're going and they're going on the Holy Grail to, I mean, to get the Holy Grail. And they're at the end of the mission and they come to the, there's the castle, the Holy Grail's inside and there's this bit uh, abyss and it's like, there's a bridge, a little rickety bridge called, I don't know, the bridge of death or something. And there's this little trollish looking man there, the bridge keeper. You guys remember from the eighties, those of you from the eighties, like you had these little guys you would stick on your pencil and you would spin around real fast and poof, they would puff up their beards and everything. Anybody? Three people. Okay. Um, he looks like that. And so they're all afraid. They're, they're nervous. Like, what's he going to do if we, if we get, you know, because you got to answer three questions to be able to cross the bridge. And so the first guy walks up and the troll guy says, hey, what's your name? He says his name. He says, what's your mission? He says the mission. What's your favorite color? Blue. He walks across the deal and everybody's like, Psh, that's it. And he's like, I'll, I'll do the next one. The next guy comes up. What's your name? Tells him his name. What's your mission? Tells him his mission. He says, what's the capital of Assyria? And he goes, I don't know that. Ah, and he falls off into the, uh, over the bridge of death, right? So then the next guy's a little shaken up by this whole deal. And he's like, what's your name? Tells him his name. What's your mission? Tells him his mission. What's your favorite color? Red. No, blue. Ah, he can't. He's shaken up, falls off. So King Arthur's like, give it to me. You know, let's go. And so the guy says to him, hey, what's your, what's your name? He says, your name. What's his mission? Here, here's your mission. And he says, what is the wing speed, uh, wing speed velocity of an unladen swallow? And so King Arthur says, well, is it an African swallow or a European swallow? And the, and the ridge keeper goes, I don't know. Ah, and he falls off the deal. And Arthur walks across the deal. Second crowd laughed harder than y'all did. Anyways. <laughs> Some people think of the gospel like that. Someday you'll die. You'll come over to the bridge of the abyss into heaven. If you answer the question right, you get to go over and, and get the holy grail. And so everybody wants to know, well, what's the minimum entrance requirement for getting access into heaven? The problem is, if you study the Gospels, Jesus never says, now here 
are the least amount of things that you need to do to go to heaven. And so many people just want to do the minimum for getting into heaven. And there are all these debates amongst theologians and, and various kinds of denominations about what it actually is. What's the minimum entrance requirements for getting into heaven? But heaven, as you read about it in the book of Revelation, as you read about it all through the text, by its very nature, isn't the kind of place that we can be fit for if we're aiming only for the minimal entrance requirements for gaining access. And so what happens then, because this is the way we've oriented ourselves, is, hey, what's the least that I got to do to get in? What happens is we are looking for the easiest, broadest path into heaven. And the problem with that is that that keeps people from becoming transformed into the image of Jesus, which is the goal. Right? That keeps them from actually doing what Jesus said. And beyond that, it keeps us from actually doing what, what our lives are designed to do, which is to change the world. To, to see lost people saved, to, to disciple unbelievers. Like, this is what we're supposed to do. And so many of us are going, what's the easiest way in? And we miss the whole point. The gospel is the announcement of Christ's kingdom come to earth. It's about the rule and reign of Jesus and his followers going, hey, Jesus, where do you need me at in this whole deal? We got this big grand scheme going, what do you want me to do? And that kind of ideology keeps us from going, hey, what do you want me to do? But this is the kind of stuff that birthed life point because there is difficult kingdom work to be done. Jesus, when he's teaching his disciples to pray, what does he say? You, you say, our father who, who, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth. Your will be done as it is in, is in heaven, right? That, that, that there is work to be done. And, and he, said, he said in another place, you're going to be bright light like a city on a hill. You're, you're going to be potent salt. And we're supposed to change the world. Not, not just go to heaven when we die. We're supposed to change the world right here and right now. And that involves sacrifice. And sometimes it involves pain and, and occasionally even suffering. Amen. And nobody wants to talk about that. But that's the kind of stuff that birthed this church. That's the stuff that's made this church what we're, not only what we're going to be, but what we are right now. It's people that are sitting in this room right beside some of you who have said, who have said whatever it costs, whatever it takes, Lord, I want to make a difference in my life, and I will do whatever you, you want me to do. I'm willing, God, use me. And it's those types of people who change the world. Like, I know I'm intense right now, but I got to tell you this. I got to tell you this. I don't care if you're a Christian or not. There are people who change the world year after year. There are people who do, who do crazy things. None of them ever did it as an admirer of something. They all did it because they went, they went full throttle. They sold out to something, and that's the people that change the world. And the rest of us kind of do what they do. That we, they paved the way and we go along with the crowd. But listen, God is looking for some people who will say, yes, God, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do it. Because here's the deal. When it comes to our salvation, which is not what we're talking about today, Jesus did that. He paid the price. There's nothing I can do to add to what he did for me. And, and, and that's the thing about salvation. You trust Jesus. You stop trusting the world. You stop trusting your own self. You put him first. You put you next, right? Or, and, and, and you put trust in Jesus. And it's discipleship that's the challenge. It's becoming more like Jesus that's the challenge. It's, it's, it's seeing our city saved. It's saying, hey, we got neighborhoods all around us here, and somebody's got to reach the people who are going to, to, to a Christless eternity right now. we got to do the work. God, I'm willing and rolling up our sleeves to that end. What do I need to do? God, what do you want me to do? That's the goal. 
It's not just go to heaven when you die. That's the ultimate goal, but there's some, a bunch of stuff in between. And so many of us are not ready to stand up and be counted to that end, and that troubles me as a pastor to watch folks year after year after year who just absorb, 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 but never say, hey, what do we do to save the city? And God is saying, who wants to roll up your sleeve? Who wants to make a difference? And, I, and I've wondered, I've wondered, why is it the case that some people are like, hey, you can count on me, and, and the vast majority never say you can count on me? Why, why is that? I, I, think I, I think I understand that now. I, I want to see if I can help us understand this. One, one more thing here. There's a guy um, who died last, uh, in 2017 named Michael Novak. He was a, a Catholic philosopher, wrote, I don't know, 40-some-odd books about life and about how to live life. And, and, and he talks about what it is that makes people do what they do. And, and he talks about specifically convictions and three kinds of convictions that people have. He first of all describes these public convictions, right? And this is the kind of stuff we want people to think that we believe, right? We, 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 we'll say certain things on social media. We'll be like, we'll be like oh, man, I, I'm an action person. I go out and make a difference by what I post on social media. Like, I don't actually show up, but I, I, I want everybody to think that I'm into that. So, so for, for instance, the, these are things that politicians will do for PR purposes. They'll tell you, they'll tell their base whatever it is that they want to hear to get them elected, but then they're going to go out and do whatever they actually believe, not what they told people they believe. Public convictions. Like, for instance, fellas, some of you will relate to this. Like, maybe one time your wife puts on a dress or a pair of jeans and she says, does this make me look fat or does this make me, my hips look big? And you would, because you're wise, you would say, what? No, I didn't even know you had hips until right now you just said something <laughs> public, right? No way am I going to tell her what I really think about that particular pair of pants. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? It's funny. Yeah. All right. Anyways, I'm going to keep moving because I feel darts of hatred coming at me right now. And, and, then, and then there are private convictions. These are what we think in our own mind. These are, these are what we believe. This is what we want to believe that we believe. This is what we want to say that we believe. But what we often find out is when, when pressure gets applied to these convictions, when things change, these convictions crumble. I'll give you a perfect, for instance, from the Bible. Jesus tells his followers, listen, in a, in a day or so, you guys are all going to betray me. You're going to all leave and run away. And Peter gets offended by this notion. He's like, what? No, not me. I would never leave you. I would never betray you. Now, when Peter says this, is he sincere? Yeah, of course he is. Did he mean it? Yeah, he meant it. Was it true? No, it wasn't true. When the pressure came, he did leave him and he did deny him because they were private convictions, right? A private conviction, I think I believe it until the situation changes, then I discover that my convictions changed because I didn't really believe it when the pressure was applied. And then lastly, there are, Michael Novak says, there are, there are core convictions, And this is what we think about the way things really are. You cannot violate these. You never violate the way that you actually believe things are. For, for instance, I believe in gravity. Right? Come on, y'all with me on this? I believe in science. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and like, I don't have to test it, man. I don't need to prove that it's real. I'm not going to get on this building after church and go, let me see if gravity is the real deal. You know what I'm saying? Because that's going to hurt, man. And, and the older I get, when I fall off my bike and I do that occasionally, it hurts more, and it takes longer to recover, and I don't need to test gravity. 
And Michael Novak says our core convictions are the deepest of our convictions. And he says it's what our lives display, listen now, by default. I mean, I don't have to think about these anymore. This is just the way I live my life. In other words, I don't need to tell you what I believe about my family, about sexuality, money, marriage, or any other sphere. My behavior says it all for me. Behavior is always a result of your core convictions about the way things are. If you want to change your life over the next five years, it will always begin by changing the way you think. Public, private, and core. My public convictions are often bogus. My private convictions are often fickle. But my core convictions determine the way I actually behave, the way I handle my money, the way I handle my relationships, the way I treat other people are all based on how I actually think, my core convictions. In other words, here's the stuff I say I believe. Here's the stuff I believe that I think I believe. And then there's the stuff that I reveal by how it is I actually live my life. And the thing is, if our public convictions and private convictions were the same as our core convictions, we'd live our lives in a totally different way than we actually do. Which is why I believe a lot of Christian people's lives are not changed over time. They want people to believe that they believe. They think people, they, they, they think they believe what they believe, but it never actually shows up in the way they actually live. And, and Craig Rochelle calls these guys Christian atheists. I believe in God, but I live as if he doesn't exist. I read the Bible, but I don't do what it says. And Jesus comes along, and what do you think he's most concerned about with these three things, right? Core, core convictions, because Jesus for the, was for the first person who ever lived and the only person who ever lived for whom all three of these things were in perfect congruence. What he, what, he, what, what, he, what he said he believed, what he thought that he believed, and what he actually did were all the same thing, perfectly in harmony. And his life was so magnetic to people because no one had ever met a man like Jesus. Because nobody has ever existed like Jesus. And the way that it went for people who move from the admirer category to the follower category is they begin to follow Jesus and they begin to watch what he did and they begin to listen to what he said and then they begin to go out and try to actually do what he said to do and they saw that it worked, that it changed their lives and so they said, I will follow him, I will do whatever he says because I trust him and that is what we're talking about today. Do you trust him with all of your life or just your eternal salvation? We live in a time now where people think it's possible to trust Jesus with their eternal destination but with nothing else and it is not possible. I have to tell you that. It's my job to tell you that. It is not possible. You will wind up with a faith that feels like it's not working. You will wind up saying, I don't believe in God anymore because he didn't do what he said he was gonna do. I prayed that one time and nothing happened because you have a malformed faith. You think I'll trust him with my salvation, but I won't trust him with anything else. And you wonder why life and ministry and, 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 and your faith feels like it's not working. It doesn't work. What Jesus wants to do is change the core ideas about the way things are. You know, when the disciples begin to follow Jesus, they begin to listen to him teach and preach around the countryside. They were following Jesus, but they were not followers of Jesus. The Bible says that until they saw him turn the water into wine, which is his very first miracle at that wedding, 
that they put their faith from that moment on, they put their faith in Jesus. They had, the, they had faith in Jesus from that moment on. But something began to happen to them as they traveled around with him and they listened to him teach and, and they saw what he did. And it began, to, the, the words of Jesus, because when you meditate on the words of Jesus and when you read the words and you try to apply them, something begins to change inside of you. And, and at, to the extent that at one point Jesus says, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And by the time the book of Acts rolled around, they moved from having faith in Jesus to having the faith of Jesus. And to, to the extent that when Jesus says, hey, listen to me, fellas, greater things than what I have done, you're gonna do. And all of a sudden they start to believe, wait a minute, this person over here is sick. I can pray for them and they can be healed. And it did. And they saw people who were bound and, and enslaved and entrapped by certain spirits and things. And they would be like, oh, this is what Jesus would have done in this situation. And now they don't only have just faith in Jesus, they have the faith of Jesus. And all of a sudden they become bright light and potent salt. They roll up their sleeves and 12 men turn the world upside down. Let me see if I can wrap it up like this. And I'm way over my time. I would apologize, but what is it good to do? I'm going to do it again probably next week, all right? Anybody ever seen this word right here? Not those words, the next one. Anybody? Okay, I apparently not. Um, oh, there it is. It's the word funambulist. Funambulist. It's kind of a weird word. It's kind of fun to say if you want to say it. It'll make you look really smart if you just kind of drop it in casual conversation. I was talking about this funambulist the other day, and it's like, oh, that guy's smart. You know what I'm saying? It's a tightrope walker, right? And one of the most famous back in history was a guy named, named Charles Blondine. He was a tightrope walker, and he was famous for this, and people would, large crowds would gather, and he would, he stretched, one time he stretched a cord across the Niagara Falls, and and, and 100,000, history says that 100,000 people showed up. It's like right before the Cowboys were, you know, dominating the Seattle's, uh, the Hawks, and, and, and before the Spurs were, you know, trashing down Kawhi and, and you know, and, and, and the Raptors. But this was back in the day before that, you see, before all those great and mighty deeds were taking place. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Anyways, um, so he's like, you guys believe I can walk out across this water? And the crowd like, yeah, I don't know if they were like, Charles, Charles. I don't know what they did, but they were like cheering him on. And then he would, we walk out and he would make an omelet, like make an egg omelet out there on the wire. And then one time he gets out a, a wheelbarrow. Who, he says, who thinks that I can walk this wheelbarrow across that rope? And the crowd's going, ah. And then he goes, who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? And it was like dead silence, right? And then out from the crowd steps a man named, by the name of Harry Colcord. Harry, as it turns out, was his manager. Harry had seen Charles do this same trick over and over and over again. So he trusts, he trusts him. He gets in, he gets in the wheelbarrow and they go for their, the ride of their lives. And this is what I'm talking about. Jesus taught and everybody was amazed, but Jesus did not come to amaze. He did not call his disciples to come and admire me. He said, follow me. Leave what it is you're doing. And by, by extension, leave how you think things should be done. Leave your way of doing things. Trust me. Follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, let him leave, deny himself, and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to follow me, come out of the crowd. Put your trust in me. Get in the wheelbarrow. We're about to have the ride of our lives. 
In 2019, this church is going to stretch like we've never stretched before. We're going to reach for lost people like we've never reached for lost people before. We are not satisfied with what we've been till now. Who will step off of the sidelines and plug in like never before? Who will come out of the crowd and say, Jesus, you can count on me. Hey, Pastor Danny, you can count on me. Let's go for this ride together. Who will truly follow Jesus? And what can that look like five years from now for you? What difference can your life make if you said yes to following Jesus? Now I'm gonna call you to a concrete step of action. Out in the lobby, as you leave today, we're starting 21 days of prayer today and fasting. Some of you don't know what fasting looks like until you have to get blood work done for your doctor. And you're like, oh man, I can't eat until 8.30. I'm just gonna starve to death, man. I feel you. I feel you. I hate that too. I'm like, how early do y'all open? 6.30? I'll be there, man. Then I'll go to Bill Miller and have tacos. You know what I'm saying? 21 days of prayer fasting. We're gonna, we got this resource out there. Pray first. We give you this every year. It's got some prayer guides, some, some how-tos. Some, hey, try it this way. There's, there's some pages in the back. You can write down your prayer request. In addition, out in the lobby, we have this little card, 21 Days of Prayer. It says, I, and there's a blank, commit myself to 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. Now, this is not some legalistic document so that if you sign it, you're beholden to it. No, there's just something about taking a concrete step. Do you know what I'm saying? putting your name on a piece of paper like that, leaving it out there, dropping it in the offering box, whatever it is. And then over the next three Saturdays from 9 to 10 a.m., we're going to pray right here in this room. We're going to take communion together. We're going to sing some songs together, and we're going to pray together. And, and, and last, the last time we did this, which was in September or August, uh, man, we had 30, 40, 50 people showing up to that deal. But I'm, I'm dreaming about a time when we're going to see a lot more people than that who are saying, you know what, count on me. I'm going to pray together because something happens when we pray. Something happens when we fast. When we, when we, we deny ourselves something that we love because our native instinct is to, it's to gratify our flesh, the Bible says. But something happens when we say no to the flesh and we gratify the spirit of God. God, what do you want from me? Something happens in your life. Something can transfer in your life. Something can transform in your life. I'm going to call our students, kids, put, put down the video game, whatever it is for the next 21 days. Sacrifice something something that will not be fun. And let's just see what God can do. Amen, somebody? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this moment, for this day, for this opportunity, God, to share what's on our hearts, Lord. Got to know it wasn't, it was a challenge and, and I don't make any apologies for that. That we would step up, we would step up and be counted, Lord. That our lives would be redirected, that our lives could be transformed and renewed and, 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 and changed. God, I just pray that you would call us out of the crowd. That you would call us to a new level of, of, of spirituality, God, in our own lives. Not, not in order to earn anything. We can't. We can't earn it. But just because we want to make a difference, Lord. We want to do kingdom work here now. We want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray that every person who's heard me today would at least go home and think about maybe changing something or maybe trying something new so that we can see the, the you that we could be in five years. I believe you're going to do amazing things through this, this next season, Lord, of our church's history, but also in the lives of people, God. Chains are going to be broken. Uh, marriages and relationships are going to be renewed. God, you're going, to, you're going to transform the way people think about their money. God, you're going to do amazing, amazing things. And I pray your blessings over all that in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask our ushers to come and get ready to 
receive the tithe and the offering. If you want to join with us in that, we really appreciate that. There's all kinds of ways you can give at the kiosk. You can do this right here in the bucket. You can mail stuff in. You can do recurring giving. You can automate the important. We always do that in life. And we would love that. And we'd appreciate that. And we're making such a difference. And we've told you for the past few weeks that you've been making such a difference, not only here in the city, but around the world. A couple things I want to tell you. If, if you made a decision today to follow Jesus or you want to know more, stop by Next Step Central on the way out. Um, there's some next steps that we can give you. There's a book that we'd love to put in your hands free for you. Go out and get one of these books. And also out there we have some pages that have, uh, I'm going to be doing a Daniel fast. This is just a fast from the book of Daniel. Um, it's really healthy. It's really helpful. It's hard to do. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it, it, it produces amazing things in my life in my life every year when I do this. we got information about that. On the back side of that sheet is the prayer focuses, what we're going to be praying about together as a church. And even if you don't decide to fast, man, pray with us about, about the things that we're praying about. There's something about that that makes a big, uh, a big difference. And we'll be doing baptisms at the end of uh, the month. Uh, if you want to sign up for that, you can do that there as, as well. Uh, growth track, that's happening right now, but you can do it next month if you want to do that with us um, as well. A couple of announcements. Um, motion, our student ministry environment. Where's my students at? Any of them here in the room today? Oh, that one, that one right over there. Yeah. Uh, come tonight, 6 to 7.30. It's always a lot of fun. They've got a brand new uh, series starting tonight. They have a lot of fun. There's always free grub and whatnot. And parents, bring them out and they'll, they'll enjoy it. Also, right after this service, give us about five minutes to take, catch a breath. And we're going to be uh, talking about our Costa Rica mission trips. We have two of them this year, June 24th through July 1st and July 1st through July 8th. If you're interested in that, um, we'll have some information for you. We'll answer your questions and then we'll tell you how to sign up and get ready for that. And then again, 21 Days of Prayer starts today. And don't don't forget Saturday 9 to 10 to join us. Hey, stand with me real quick. Bump a fist, high five, hug, whatever your comfort level is. Go Cowboys, go Spurs, and everybody else, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. We love you. God bless you. Happy New Year, everybody. Let's have a great day. Have a great week. God bless you.